This episode of Converge with my guest, Tara Gentili, is sponsored by Go, the Converge Summit. If the Converge podcast is meant to inspire independent creatives, the Converge Summit is meant to train your inner entrepreneur. How are you investing in the business side of your creativity? For more information on Go, check out ConvergeSummit.com. Converge is my chance to connect with creatives who make really interesting things. And when they can, profit from those things, often in ways that might surprise you. My background as a photographer and author gets me in conversations with visual storytellers and writers, but also musicians, actors, business and thought leaders, basically people who work very hard, not just to make a buck, but also to make a point. The invitation is to understand a little more of the context that surrounds their work and hopefully discover a fresh perspective that might inspire something new around the value you're making in the world. Here at Gobi Collective, we are thinking a lot about the convergence of business and creativity. And we, we do that all the time, but in particular right now, as we're getting ready for our event, our convergesummit.com event that's starting in January here in Newport, I'm just, I'm very sensitive to how, how it is that certain individuals make a leap uh, in a given year and other folks try really hard, but don't seem to get the same return on the investment. And so much of that I think connects to coaching and strategy and having the right voices in your mind and, and in your ears. And uh, so in, in getting ready for this end of year, as you guys are likely thinking about, gosh, how do I, how do I want to envision this next 12 months that are coming? I couldn't think of a better guest to have on than Tara Gentili. We've had her on the show before. She's, she's fantastic. But today's conversation in particular, especially if you're thinking about what will this next year look like for me, I think will be particularly inspiring and helpful. Uh, I'd love to hear what you think. Uh, hit me back if you'd like. But for now, enjoy the conversation with Tara Gentili. A great idea can be great, but it doesn't have value until a customer says it has value. I'm your host, Dane Sanders, and I want to welcome you to Converge. So Tara Gentili, welcome back to Converge. Thank you so much for having me back again. I am so pleased. This feels like an opportunity to have part two of a conversation that's haunted me for the better part of a year. Uh, one of my favorite episodes, episode 19 of Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast, where we had a chance to hear a little bit of your history, uh, your background, and, and, and kind of an ironic, I was going to say an unorthodox background, but it's it was kind of an orthodox unorthodoxy. But you, uh, you had a background in religious studies and really focusing on uh, understanding the other. And we talked about your obsession with the other. And I have all of these questions that have kind of flown through my mind since. And I want to just pick up steam. So if you're listening and you're, and you're tuning in right now to this conversation, my strong encouragement is for you guys to hit pause and give yourself a treat and go back to episode 19, uh, listen to that episode and then jump in. If you don't want to do that, no problem. There's plenty of standalone content here. That'll be great. But uh, I think you'll really love that context and background. And really, this is an extension of that dialogue. So we've already covered the ground of your interest in the clients you work with, helping them understand the folks that they're working with, that putting on the perspective of others, uh, whether it be a client or, and we even talked a little bit about, you know, people in our lives, really taking on their perspective, how much value that can create uh, for the other. And, and in so doing, all of a sudden we move from this, this place of trying to sell people stuff to really understanding where other people are at. And from that perspective, we are 
far better equipped to truly serve those folks. So to get started, I, I rather than spend a kind of a repeat time on how what got you here, I just want to jump in and say, uh, Tara Gentile is amazing. If you don't know her on Creative Live, you should be tuning in. Uh, if you haven't checked out her stuff at terragentile.com, you need to immediately. Uh, but we're going to assume you've done all that, and we're just jumping in right now, and you know Tara. And uh, Tara, can you comment a little bit to get us started around the power of looking at life from the other's perspective? Oh, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you. Um, and second, uh, yeah. So looking at life from the other's perspective, you know, you mentioned that being able to take someone else's perspective, being able to understand someone else and the people, specifically the people that we want to serve, allows us to stop selling and really allows us to start serving. Um, for me, it's almost even more than that, because I think that a lot of idea-driven, creative, mission-driven businesses, they're already all about service. Sales already feels a little scary to them. And the idea of looking at the world and what you have to offer from someone else's perspective gives you this superpower to be able to connect the dots between the service that you want to offer and not just like service product offer thing, but like the like the, the heart service that you have to put out into the world. It allows you to connect the dots between that and what's really important to other people. And this is, this is what we forget. We don't make those connections. We assume that because our hearts are in the right place, that we have service on the mind, that we want to transform people's lives, that other people can see that too but they can't. <laughs> the vast majority of people cannot connect those dots. And it's our jobs as creators, as business owners, as marketers to create the pathway from what's important to us to what's important to other people. And you absolutely cannot do that if you can't see the world from the other's perspective. So that's that at the heart of it is the most important thing. If you've ever, you know, been super excited about a brand new product or a brand new service or, you know, whatever it is that you were offering and it fell flat, it flopped, it didn't do what it should have done. This is probably at the heart of why that happened. You didn't connect the dots between what's important to you and to what is important to someone else. Yeah. And uh, so really, uh, you know, you talked about the last year. That's that's what I've been thinking about over this last year is mm. how do I create more systems, more uh, techniques that allow people to do that in the easiest way possible? Mm. Uh, it's a great setup because when we first met, um, I had this brilliant, <laughs> I thought, idea. Uh, I think I was trying to build a, another, like I was trying to uh, like put Microsoft Word out of business or something like that. Mm -hmm. And and uh, that has iterated, and I want to talk about the iterative process in a minute, but um, that's iterated a zillion times since. And, and it, I went from there to a place of really being concerned about uh, the freelancer. And now it sounds kind of odd, like this kind of, labyrinth road to get to from a, a product to help people write to a concern for not just writers, but musicians and graphic designers and photographers and so forth. All these folks that are leveraging talent as a vehicle to create value for others. But in that process, uh, I, I can so relate to what you're describing, that feeling of, I, I mean, just super excited. In fact, so obsessed with what I was trying to make that I couldn't see anything. I couldn't hear anything. I was just like 
caught in this this uh, echo chamber of self validation <laughs> that what I was creating was just just pure amazing. And and I'm not even saying that actually wasn't interesting at least to me, but I certainly wasn't. Um, uh, I was I think I was conscious of wanting to know what the other thought, what my customer could think about. But um, and ironically, I've actually had some success with that WeWriter product. But what was amazing to me is uh, I, I still felt disabled. It was almost like I I was um, I was deaf. Like I, I it wasn't that I didn't want to hear. I couldn't hear. And I'm wondering um, for folks that were in my shoes, that kind of owner perspective uh, of of being so it takes so much kind of Herculean work to to get something made. Uh, to have a concern for like, hey, will anyone like it? <laughs> uh, uh, I, I know it sounds crazy to assert it that kind of plainly, but it, it, it almost feels impossible to hear hear the other when it takes so much effort to make the thing in the first place. Um, can you talk a little bit about how, how one would start making the transition to to hearing? Because and I, one other preamble on this, it seems like most of the experts out there are saying like, no, no, just start with listening. Create your minimal viable product just by listening first and create the product from that spot. But I'm actually speaking specifically to uh, creators who have made something because they think it's awesome, whether or not there's a market for it yet, but they want to make the transition from that thing they've made to uh, an attendance to the folks that, that might take use of it. Yes. So I'm happy to talk to talk about it from that perspective, but I want to start off by saying that if you want to change the confidence level that you have in your business, if you want to change the uh, assuredness that you feel about whether a product will sell or not, start with the sale first. Start with why someone would want to buy this thing and then build the thing that people want to buy. Whether it looks exactly like the great idea you had or not, uh, you have to, have to, have to build the thing that people want to buy because um, a great idea can be great, but it doesn't have value until a customer says it has value. So, and, and this, I think this, this is huge for people, uh, if I do say so myself, <laughs> because, um, you know, we, we spend so much time thinking that we're putting so much value into our products, so much value into our content marketing, so much value into social media. Um, but if you're finding that that is kind of falling on deaf ears, it's not actually valuable. It's only valuable until someone else says, this has value to me. This changed something for me. So if you want to completely and radically transform your product development process and the confidence that you feel in your business, start by asking, why would someone buy this? Or even better, what do people want to buy? Because what people want to buy gives you a context for putting your great idea into a box that makes sense to other people. And that's that's the whole thing here, is that your job, whether you have the idea yet or not, is to make what you're selling make sense to other people. So if you've already got a product, you've already got a great idea that you've poured your blood, sweat, and tears into bringing into reality, you've got to figure out what is the pathway between this great idea and what makes sense to other people, what they recognize as fulfilling a particular need, easing a particular frustration, helping them get to a particular goal. And very often, the frustrations that they're experiencing, the questions that they're asking, the goals that they're working towards 
as experts, we think they're the wrong things. <laughs> right. We often think, right? We often think, oh, oh, but you're asking the wrong question. Let me show you the right way. Well, is that a good way to make a connection with someone? No. Um, it can be a great way to get someone to change their mind once they already trust you and know you and have a relationship with you, but it's not a great way to start a relationship. I always tell uh, my clients that their very first step in marketing has got to be an effort to say to their to their potential customers, I see you, I hear you, I understand you. And that can look like all sorts of different things, but the easiest way to go about approaching that is to repeat back to them what they've just said to you. <laughs> and um, that could be what they've just said to you sort of like in the in the uh, universal you. <laughs> you know, they could have put that out on social media. They could have mentioned, you could have overheard them at a conference. You could have uh, read it in a book. You could have, you know, whatever it might have been. They're putting, they're putting this out into the world. People are constantly part of a conversation and they're constantly telling us what's on their minds. And our very, very first step as marketers is to recognize one of those nuggets and say, I hear you, I see you, I understand you. And repeating back to people is just the easiest possible way to do that. So in, in my work, uh, in my Quiet Power Strategy program, what we almost almost at the very beginning of the program, we start off by creating a virtual focus group. And so these are people, three to five actual people <laughs> that um, that my clients have worked with before, who have maybe they haven't worked with but would really like to work with, um, that can inform all of their decision making. Because here's the problem. We we tend to make generalizations about the market instead of actually thinking about what individuals' problems actually are. And so I call this the problem of generalization versus personalization. When you are able to observe individual people that you know really well, that you have some sort of relationship with, you are able to make personalized decisions. You're able to see how your product or your idea would fit into their world Versus when we generalize about a market or about a group of people, when we try and we, we make a lot of assumptions about how our product would fit into that. Uh, and those assumptions are almost always wrong. <laughs> Sometimes we get lucky, but most of the time they're almost always wrong. And that, what, what's, the, what's an example of, a, of an obvious assumption that someone's, someone would get wrong? Like, is it, is it too, like, are, are there these other kind of traditional kind of gaps that people always make or is it specific to a particular campaign? Yeah. Um, there are some, there are some very common gaps that people make. One is not considering the format of their product when it comes to the market that they're selling to. So they're not taking into consideration the time constraints that their market has or the way that they consume media or the, you know, the choices that they make about, you know, the apps that they've already bought. So they make, a, they make assumptions there that, you know, of course this product's going to work out because duh, <laughs> like that's, and that's almost what it looks like. I mean, I know it doesn't feel like that in your head when you're making that decision, but that's really right. what it looks like on the outside. Um, they also make assumptions about price 
Uh, and price decision, assumptions about price can kill your product. Um, so if you assume that a customer is not going to pay X for something or that they are going to pay Y for something, you may be telling a story to those customers that you don't know you're telling. And mm. that can kill a product. The other big gap that I see people making or the big mistake that I see people making in terms of assumptions is that they assume people already care about their ideas. One just because I work with a lot of clients in this area, one area that I see this very commonly in is, uh, you know, there's there are a lot of female coaches who are doing a lot of work around like the divine feminine and feminine leadership and and that particular set of ideas. And they're wonderful ideas. And I love that people are talking about these things and thinking about these things, but they don't make sense in the context of the people that they want to be selling to. And so they keep putting these ideas out there, but they don't think about like, what question is that the answer to? Or what problem is this the solution to? And so they they try and sell what they want to teach or what idea they want to, uh, you know, disperse out into the world instead of what people want to learn or the things that they want to change. And it's, a, it's actually a very small shift making that change, but it, it leads to huge returns um, on that sort of on the investment of that change. You know, that, that, I'm glad you said that because that, that's really where my question wants to go right now is, is if someone comes into this uh, wrongly, <laughs> they, they have this, they, they have this two in the morning on a Tuesday idea and they really think it's a good idea and they invest, I don't know, six, nine, 12 months toward it. They, they, they haven't gone to terrorgentilly.com forward slash map to know who they're, who they're talking to. They haven't gone through the process of quiet power uh, and they just have been alone in a room and they made something that is literally awesome. But because of these false assumptions, they, they're just not talking to anybody. They're talking to themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but they made something that might be might be actually really helpful for folks if they could somehow receive it in a context that was palatable. Talk a little bit about what it takes to iterate from that point where they could they have they have a thing. Uh, and you convince them to set that thing aside and start the conversation with, well, who am I talking to first and how am I talking to them in a way that's meaningful? But is there a way to reverse engineer the, the thing that was interesting into that? Or should they just relate with that thing they made like a bucket of resource that they may or may not be pulling from when they make a new thing? Or should they be trying to retrofit it into an audience. Yeah. So the answer to this question depends largely on the situation and the product itself. However, what I've seen most of the time is that you can take a product that hasn't sold because it doesn't make sense to people and turn it into a product that does sell simply by changing the messaging around it. Hmm. It's largely not about the product itself and much more about the context that people are receiving it in. And I think that's the, that's the thing we so often forget when we've put our blood, sweat, and tears into a product is that we think people are buying one thing, but what they want to buy is something else. Those two ideas aren't normally mutually exclusive we just need to find where the overlap is. So you can tell someone how to use the product differently than you originally assumed it was going to be used. Or you can show them how it's the answer to a question that they've been asking for the last 10 years. Or you can show them how it's the solution to a problem that they've been facing. Or you can show them how it's going to ease a particular frustration that they have. 
all you have to do is change the context. By changing the context, we allow people to invest themselves in it. We allow people to see how it fits in their lives. We allow them to see how it could be useful to them. Without that, it doesn't matter how great the idea is, it's not going to work. Now, you can also iterate. And and I shouldn't say you can also, you should also (laughs) iterate (laughs) on the product. Um, The more people use it, uh, the more they interact with it, the more you're going to learn about how they use it and how they interact with it and why it's helpful to them. And the more you learn about that, the more you can tease those things out of your product. You might shift the format up a little bit. You might uh, add additional features. You might take some features away. You might raise the price. You might lower the price. All of those changes are you know, small iterations on the product that can be made based on the way people actually use and actually find valuable uh, about your product. That's, that is huge. And that's sort of like, that's the holy grail of, um, of product development is making your product become more and more over time, what people want to buy. Um, yeah, and a great resource for this is The Lean Startup by Eric Ries. Um, that book really details how this happens. And even just if, if you just take the story out of how he uh, did this in his own startup, um, it, it's just really, it's pr- totally perspective changing on how you'll mm. approach your own products and why this is important. Um, because it, I, I actually just wrote a blog post about this, but so many people, you know, build products, you know, over a long period of time, pour their hearts into an idea. And when they fail in the marketplace, they assume the idea was bad. And even worse, they assume they're bad or that there's something wrong with them. And it is almost never that. Our ideas are good. Our ideas can change lives. But if they don't, fit into the context uh, that someone needs them to be in to understand how to use it, those ideas will fail. Um, so that's that's the biggest thing here is just because you're iterating on your product doesn't mean your idea is bad. Just because it fails doesn't mean your idea is bad. But you have to take uh, what other people tell you, what their experiences are, what how you see them using other things or what frustrations you see them coming uh, you know, coming to the market with, and you have to find a way to fit your product into that feedback. So quoting another academic, there's this uh, guy named uh, Bobby Clinton, a relation to the former president, uh, who teaches at a place called Fuller in uh, Pasadena, California. And he, you know, he's he's been at this work for a long time. He studies leadership extensively. And any, uh, if I'm gonna, I hope I don't butcher this, but if I remember it right, he, he said something like, um, "We think we know everything in our 20s, and uh, we think we can't do anything in our 30s, and then we realize that we think we can do a couple things in our 40s, and then we realize we can do one thing in our 50s, and then in our 60s we go do it." And uh, as I reflected on that in my own life, I'm like, okay, so I'm in my 40s. Uh-oh, I think I can do a couple. Oh, crap, I am a total like stereotype here. But what I'm actually hearing in the way that you're framing this up is really, it's a very thoughtful, expedited process to get to what those couple things are, or maybe even that one thing is, that not only lands for you personally, but 
if you if you are in the business of making things that make a difference for other people, it seems like we can we have tools at our disposal. We have a a body of thinking and writing that can really help help us not have to wait till we're sixty to do our one thing, but we can actually be doing those those primary things to what we were made to go do much sooner and in a much more robust and exciting way for those we're doing it for. Uh, and I, I want to make sure that, am I hearing that right? Like when you articulate what we're, we're in pursuit of, I mean, you're a very young woman and you have a lot of life in front of you and I know you're not, you're not done, but you're also in process in a way where you're thriving. You're, you're flourishing as a person right now. And uh, is, is some of these, this way of thinking, not only is building products for others that they could benefit from sooner, but if we could apply these same ideas to our own lives, could we flourish as humans sooner? I think that is a really interesting question. And uh, my first, my, my initial response to that is absolutely yes. Um, one piece of my story that I often just kind of glaze over because it's not, um, it's not a very, normally it's not a very interesting detail is that when I quit my borders job, um, because I did get out before they went under, (laughs) but when I quit my borders job, yeah, thank you. Um, when I quit that job and it was well before I knew I was going to start a business, certainly. Um, when I quit that job, the very next thing that I did was sit down at my kitchen table with a notebook and said, these are the skills that I have. These are the people I would these are the people and organizations that I would like to be able to offer those skills to for lots of different reasons. Um, And I have been saying that that was my very first quiet power strategy because it was me making a bold decision about how I was going to guide my life. But it's also very much sort of the first time I thought about how can I market my skills? Why would my skills be important to a certain group of people? Because I had spent my uh, you know, post-college years, so, you know, 21 to 26, thinking about, you know, or bemoaning the fact that no one would hire me, even though I was so smart and so with it and, you know, a, a real asset to any organization. I never asked myself, why would I be an asset? Because I'm so smart and I'm so with it is not a good enough answer. Just like <laughs> it's not a good enough answer that your genius idea is a genius idea. It's just not. And the moment you get over that and the moment you realize that you need to make it matter to somebody else, you are, I think, uh, to get back to your question, on the fast track to achieving what it is that you want to achieve. Uh, But you have to make that realization that it's not about you and that if you want to do these things, you want to build this product, if you want to make the money, if you want to sit back and relax, you have to make it matter to somebody else. Your idea has to be meaningful and relevant and just kind of, you know, acutely important to the people that are going to potentially buy it or hire you or work with you, whatever, whatever it is that is the question in your mind. Um, so yes, to answer your question and with a, with a long rambly story. Yes, I agree. I think that that's exactly, uh, exactly the case. This was episode 059 of Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. GoBeCollective.com is where all our stuff, well, come together. They converge. Go be inspired by Seth Godin, Gretchen Rubin, Jay Allison, Chris Gillibo, and Hanley, Ryan Holiday, Starly Kine, Tara, and many others. But the inspiration is just the beginning. There's also a great community. We call it The Collective. Plus, there's really cool ways to go be trained and go be coached. 
It all exists to help you maximize the business side of your creativity. It's worth mentioning that our conference, we call it Go, the Converge Summit, is almost here and there's still time for you to join in. Besides the obvious fact that being in Newport Beach in January is fantastic, our amazing lineup of speakers will blow you away. I hope you check it out. No kidding. Hit up gobecollective.com or the direct link at convergesummit.com. Music today provided by triplescoopmusic.com. Sound as good as you look. Thanks to Anna Quaze at acreative.co for her audio production. And special thanks to Tara for being with us. Visit her at tarajentilly.com. I'm Dave Sanders. I cannot wait until next time.